You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Hey, everybody. I am just joining Impromptu because one of my interviews with Tim Story, he is the comeback coach, which I'm really excited for. It got canceled last minute and I have a free hour, which is not typical. So I decided to hop on live here And, you know, there's about a minute delay, so I'm just going to chat with you guys a bit before the comments start rolling in. But this is a session where you guys can ask me anything about podcasting, about LinkedIn marketing, about myself. Whatever you guys want to ask me is fair game. That's what this session is all about. So looking forward to chat with you all, uh, get to know some of my listeners a bit better, and hoping you guys will join me for this impromptu session. And I'll hop on here for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, just depending on the engagement, I'll stay for an hour, but it just really depends on if you guys have questions for me and, you know, how well this session goes. Hopefully we have no comment fights like last time. I think the last time I did this was like a month ago because there was a big comment fight And it kind of turned me off from doing these things, but um, I decided that I would get back on and do a session for those of you who want to learn from me. Hey, Chell, thanks for joining us. If you guys are tuning in, let me know you're here. Uh, Say your location, say your name so that I can shout you out and feel free to ask me anything. Hey, Harnack, how you doing? Uh, Thanks for joining us. Um, So yeah, ask me anything that you guys want. Like I mentioned, I had an interview with Tim Story. It got rescheduled and I'm here for 20 minutes, half an hour to answer anything that you guys want in terms of uh, LinkedIn marketing and podcasting. Okay, so we got our first question. It is from Michael Williams. He says, how is LinkedIn marketing different from other social media platforms in your opinion? Okay, so I think that LinkedIn marketing is different for a few reasons. First of all, I think that the audience is very different. So when you go on LinkedIn, a lot of people are looking for a job and they're generally interested in education and bettering themselves in self-improvement. And so I feel like these types of topics do really, really well on LinkedIn. Like that's what people want to hear about on LinkedIn. And so in my opinion, that's the main difference. It's the audience. Also, people on LinkedIn tend to make more money. There's a lot more executives who are hanging out on LinkedIn than there are on Instagram and Facebook. And so it's very professional. The audience is well-educated. They have a lot of money. And um, that's who you'll find on 
LinkedIn. And then in terms of the actual marketing and strategies with marketing, I think that the tactics are different too. Uh, I think different things work on different platforms. For LinkedIn right now, uh, the algorithm loves pictures, just plain photos, not even sliders, not even videos. It's pictures and text captions that are that are winning right now on LinkedIn. And so uh, I think it always changes depending on the algorithm. But uh, so far, what I've seen is that pictures, especially of me uh, or uh, pictures of a person that people can resonate with or a good quote uh, does really well on LinkedIn right now. Cool. So we've got a lot of folks uh, here right now. Uh, Let me just do some shout outs. Hey, Kennedy from Wisconsin. Hey, Joshua from Chicagoland. Hey, Christopher from Chicago as well. Salim Mario from Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. Harnack from Chicago. Wow, a lot of people from Chicago. Carolyn from Chicago suburbs. Christopher from Pennsylvania. And Rick, uh, yes, LinkedIn is more professional. So yeah, if you guys have uh, questions for me, please uh, put them in the chat and I'll answer them the best that I can. I am a podcast marketing expert. I'm a LinkedIn marketing expert. I am a marketer. And, uh, you know, I'm also... I've got a lot going on and had a lot of experiences in my life. So any questions that you guys have, I'd love to answer them. Hey, Darby from Dallas, Texas, and Nicholas from Naperville, Tony, Muhammad from Saudi Arabia. Thank you guys all so much for tuning in. Again, put your questions in the chat. All right, so here we go. Another question. By the way, guys, put your questions in the chat so that we can keep this moving um, and I can just answer questions as they come in. So we have from Rasheb Kamdar. How do you know what type of content the algorithm is favoring at the moment? So I think the key with this is really consistency. If you post every day, um, you'll start to get a lot of data in terms of what's working and what's not working. And uh, there was a period of time when sliders were all the rage on LinkedIn. And every time somebody posted a slider, no matter if it was good or bad, they'd get 300 likes because uh, LinkedIn had a new feature, the slider, that was getting a lot of eyeballs. Now LinkedIn has the story feature, which is the new thing that, you know, if you're using it, LinkedIn is going to favor you because you're utilizing a new feature. So some a tip that, um, you know, I'm not 100% positive if, if this is true or not. A lot of people are saying it, that if you use LinkedIn stories because it's a new feature, you'll get more visibility on your content. And that in general, your posts are getting less visibility now because of the new story feature. They're pushing everybody to the story feature. So I would say give it a shot. Use stories. See if that improves your posts. And it's all experimenting, Rashab. Like that's how you figure out what's working and what's not. If you post a video and you notice that every time you post a video, you're not getting results, then you know that your audience doesn't really resonate with your videos or that the algorithm doesn't really work in your favor in terms of videos. I've noticed that the the impressions or the amount of views on my video posts are like significantly lower than all the other content that I do. And because video is the hardest thing to produce, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. You're going to spend all that time working on a video and it's not even going to get a lot of eyeballs. That's, uh, you know, it really also depends on the content. If you have amazing content, something that's going to go viral, then yeah, do a video. Um, But for some reason, for me right now, videos aren't really performing that well. It could also be that my videos are typically about my podcast and maybe people are sick of my podcast videos. I've been doing them for a while. So another thing is I might want to start switching up the way that my videos look so that I stand out in the feed more and improve my video podcast performance. 
Okay, cool. So I hope I answered your question. Let me know if you have any other feedback. Um, so then we have a LinkedIn user. For some reason, your name doesn't pop up. I don't know why this happens to some people. I have somebody asking me if podcasting is profitable. And I think that it really depends on your podcast. I think that uh, it varies. It depends on your podcast strategy. One thing that I find is that a lot of people think that they're going to create a business from their podcast, that their podcast is the center of their business. But that's actually really silly. Um, your podcast, unless you're Joe Rogan or Jordan Harbinger and you have hundreds of thousands of downloads, you're not going to be rich off your podcast. Um, sponsors only pay $25 per 1,000 subscribers. So that means that you need 40,000 subscribers before you can make $1,000 per episode on your podcast. And $1,000, if you have four podcasts a month, is only $4,000 a month, which is not too much money. And still, to get to 40,000 listeners per episode is really hard work, and you have to be one of the top podcasters. I'm just now reaching 40,000 subscribers per episode, and I've been doing it for two years, and I have a pretty big podcast. So... Um, you're not going to get rich from sponsorships, but um, there's other tactics that you can use that make your podcast profitable. So if you have a business, having a podcast that is a niche that is focused around your business industry. So for example, I have a friend, his name is Jason Cash. He has uh, an insurance podcast and he told me that he made $80,000 last year in sponsorships because he pitched insurance companies to sponsor his podcast and community. And he's got a community of insurance agents and insurance agents that follow him. And so because he's so niche and he's targeting people that insurance companies really want to target, he's able to make money off sponsorships. There's also affiliate marketing that you can do. And that's something that you can do even if you don't have a lot of downloads, um, because half the time these affiliate partners don't even ask for your rankings. They just want to know how you're going to promote their product, whether it's a blog or a podcast or whatever it is. And so, for example, like Audible has a partnership for podcasts that you can apply to. And anytime somebody signs up for your Audible trial, you get $15. But you have to realize that podcast is an awareness channel. People are working out while they're listening to podcasts. They are driving, cleaning. And so oftentimes they don't want to go to audible.com slash yap and uh, sign up for a trial. In fact, I did that and I probably only made like 200 bucks. <laughs> like for like, and I promoted it like at least five times on my podcast. Like I didn't make a lot of money, even though I have a lot of loyal listeners. And that's because nobody really wants to take the time to go to a website when they're listening to a podcast. And so awareness promotions work a lot better on podcasts than affiliate marketing. But if you have a big following like I do on LinkedIn or if you have a blog or something like that, then affiliate marketing really does work. You just have to use some web strategies with it to try to make some money. So this is a really long-winded answer and I'm really sorry, but I have a lot to say about it. Lead generation is a great way to make money off your podcast. So I actually started a podcast marketing agency this summer, and every single client has been a guest on my podcast. So they start as a guest on my podcast. They see all the marketing that I do. They get interested, and they want my services. And I barely have to do any selling. I've done no marketing for my uh, podcast agency, and I'm on track to make multi-six figures next year from this side hustle that I started pretty much by accident. And it's because my podcast was a proven thing that people 
could believe in, could see me actually doing. I actually walk the walk and I don't just talk the talk. They see that I have a successful podcast and I market it really well. And so it's very easy to then sell podcast marketing services. So similarly, if you are a real estate agent and you have a podcast about how to, you know, be a great real estate agent and you've got a lot of expertise in the area, maybe you can have a course and uh, use the podcast as a lead generation tool for your course. So whatever it is, podcasting can help you build an audience that trusts you and that will buy from you. And you can use it as a lead gen tool, whether that's with your guests or whether that's with your actual audience. And so that's the most effective way, I think, to monetize from your podcast. And then the other effective way is to have a very niche podcast and target sponsors that are very interested in your niche. So that same example that I gave you with the insurance agent, how he made $80,000 and he's got only 14,000 downloads per month on his podcast. So I'm guessing only 2,000 or so downloads per episode. It's a lot less than 40,000, like I was mentioning before, and he's making a lot more money because he's got a very niche audience. So those are my tips there. All right. So I know that was a super long-winded answer. Thank you, everybody who's still tuning in here. All right. So let's see. We have a question from Joshua. What is the greatest challenge in marketing your podcast in order to grow your brand? I think that the greatest challenge is to retain subscribers. You can promote your podcast all day and get new subscribers, but if they don't come back again and again, then you're just always in the rat race trying to get new subscribers, new subscribers. And so for me, retention is the toughest thing. And I try to retain people by being consistent. So that's launching episodes every single Monday and never forgetting and trying to make sure that I launch more than one episode a week because I want people to remember me and keep coming back to my podcast to listen. So I think that retention is a really hard problem. And I think just in general, growing my subscribers. I think that a lot of people know me from LinkedIn. And at first I was seeing really rapid growth because all these new fans and podcast listeners from LinkedIn were finding me. Now I feel like almost everybody who was going to find me on LinkedIn, um, maybe this is not entirely true, but like a lot of people who are going to find me on LinkedIn have already found me. So now like what's next, right? What's next? How I do, how do I get my next, you know, 40,000 subscribers? That's when you have to get creative. So what I've been doing is I've been reaching out to the podcast apps. How can I collaborate with you? How can you feature me in your app? How can I get to know other podcast listeners out there and be visible to them? That's my goal is to be visible to the podcast listeners out there. And where are they? They're in the podcast apps. So working with CastBox and trying to do promotions with them, working with Podacy, uh, if you guys saw my recent contest with them, you're going to see a lot more of that stuff from me because I'm trying to grow my subscribers. And for me, the way to do that is to be visible in the podcast apps. And so for me, that's the next phase in terms of podcast marketing and, and getting new fans. What's up, Yap Bam? Being an entrepreneur and working remotely definitely has its perks. And I know a lot of you listening in are in the same boat as me. But do you really take advantage of being able to work from anywhere? I know I typically don't, but thankfully this past holiday, I finally decided to make use of my work flexibility for the first time ever. My boyfriend and I decided to pack up and leave to the West Coast to spend an entire month working from home in the sun. We got a super cute bungalow in Venice Beach with a fenced backyard. The change in scenery, the fresh air, and the slower pace to help me to inspire some really cool new ideas for my business. And honestly, I'm feeling really refreshed and ready to rock in 2024. 
And who helped me make these remote work dreams come true? It was Airbnb. And Airbnb has come in clutch for me time and time again. Whether it's finding the perfect Airbnb home for our three-day annual executive team get-together or booking a vacation where my extended family can fit all in one place, Airbnb always makes it a great experience. And you know me. I'm always thinking of my latest business venture, and I've been begging my boyfriend to start hosting our place on Airbnb. And finally, we're going to start. So many of my successful friends host on Airbnb, and it's such an amazing way to generate passive income. So to start, we have a plan to start spending more time in Miami, and we'll be hosting our place to earn some extra money when we're back on the East Coast. 2024 goals, and I'll keep you updated. A lot of people don't realize that they might have an Airbnb right under their own noses. I was pretty surprised myself. You can Airbnb your place or spare room, even if you're out of town for just a few days or weeks. You could do what I did and work remotely somewhere else and Airbnb your place to fund your trip. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host to find out how much your home is worth. Yeah, fam, I wanna talk about focus. When I started my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass, I needed to focus on creating the best course possible. I didn't have time to worry about how to set up my website and collect payments. And that's why I set up my store on Shopify. (coughs) Launching Yap Academy through Shopify was one of the best decisions I've ever made. We made nearly $500,000 so far. And since I sell a course, that's pretty much pure profit. Are you ready to be young and profiting too? Then launch your business with Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, whether you're a side hustler, new entrepreneur, or rocking a multi-million dollar business. And it doesn't matter if you're selling scented soap or a marketing masterclass like me, Shopify helps you sell anything, anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. And when it comes to e-commerce, Shopify turns online window shoppers into actual buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. We're talking 36% better on average compared to other platforms with features like abandoned cart campaigns, discount promo codes, and so much more. Fun fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, including huge brands like Thrive Cosmetics and Allbirds. No matter your stage, no matter if it's online or in-person, Shopify is always the right commerce platform for you. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting, and that's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. Yeah, fam, I did a big thing recently. I rolled out benefits to my US employees. They now get healthcare and 401ks. And maybe this doesn't sound like a big deal to you, but it was surely a big deal to me because benefits were like, the boogeyman to me. I thought for sure we couldn't afford it. I thought that it was going to be so complicated, so hard to set up, lots of risk involved. And in fact, so many of my star employees have left in the past citing benefits as the only reason why. And here I was thinking that we couldn't afford benefits when it's literally not that expensive at all. And you actually split the cost between the employee and the employer. I had no idea. I found out on JustWorks. JustWorks has been a total lifesaver for me. We were using two other platforms for payroll, one for domestic in US, one for international. We had our HR guidelines and things like that, employee handbook on another site. And everything was just everywhere. 
Now everything's consolidated with JustWorks, a tried and tested employee management platform. You get automated payments, tax calculations, and withholdings with expert support anytime you need it. And on top of that, there's no hidden fees. You can leave all the boring stuff to JustWorks and just get to business. And with automatic time tracking, it has made managing my international hires a little bit more soothing for my soul that I know that they're actually working and they're tracking their time. I mean, it's really hard to manage remote employees. It's easy to get started right away. All you need is 30 minutes. You don't even have to be in front of your computer. You can just get started right on your phone. Take advantage of this limited time offer. Start your free month now at justworks.com slash profiting. Let JustWorks run your payroll so you don't have to. Start your free month now at JustWorks.com slash profiting. Okay, how important are hashtags? So I'm guessing you're talking about LinkedIn. I would say that hashtags are not very effective and can actually ruin your post and ruin the engagement on your post. So my logic is because when you use hashtags, you're broadening the impressions on your post and more people are going to see your post. There's going to be more eyeballs, but it's going to be people who don't know you. It's going to be people who are not your actual followers, who have never seen your content before, who are less likely to engage on your content. So for example, when Black Lives Matter was going on, every time I used a Black Lives Matter hashtag, my post always did bad because there were so many people searching for that tag and it would get so many impressions, but I would be lost in the sea of other people using the Black Lives Matter hashtag. My impressions would go up in terms of the amount of eyeballs who saw my posts, but the amount of people who liked them would be significantly less in terms of the engagement rate because they didn't know me. And so then your post just does worse in the feed and, and LinkedIn because they see that a lot of people saw it and not a lot of people engaged. They'll de-promote your post. It won't be visible in the feed. It won't be at the top. And you always want to be at the top when somebody signs on. And so for me, I find that branded hashtags work a lot a lot better than very popular hashtags on LinkedIn. I prefer to just do Yap Young and Profiting Podcast as my hashtags and use it more as like a stylistic tool than uh, actually something that would help my algorithm or ranking because I just feel that it actually just waters down your post because too many people see it. And because they're not connected with you, they don't know you, they don't have a relationship with you, they're less likely to engage, and then it will deprioritize your post. So that's my opinion on hashtags for LinkedIn. I think for Instagram, it's a different story. I think you can use a lot of hashtags on on Instagram, and maybe it works differently. But for LinkedIn, I would just recommend focusing in on some key hashtags that you're going to use over and over again and try to like own those hashtags. So for example, I think I pretty much own the podcast hashtag on LinkedIn. I'm probably one of the the most trending people who use that hashtag. And so that's why I keep using it over and over again, because I'm trying to own it. Let's see, when can you start making money off being LinkedIn influencers? Do advertisers just throw money at you? LOL. I mean, I don't really get people who like offer to pay me money for my LinkedIn. I do a lot of trading as an influencer on LinkedIn. So like I'll do a lot of trading with different sponsors like, hey, promote me in your podcast app and I'll do a contest with you. And I like to do like a lot of win-win things. So I want to make sure that my audience gets something out of it, whether they're, you know, promoting a new podcaster that's their friend or they get to win a gift card or do something where it's a win-win for everyone so that my audience like 
loves the contest and doesn't just get annoyed from me. And so I use my platform as a way to like trade. I'm not really getting approached by people to like just pay me to to promote something. I think LinkedIn is a little different than like Instagram is where that's not really that popular yet. But a lot of LinkedIn influencers just turn into a LinkedIn coach and then they make their money that way. There's a lot of opportunity in terms of people who want to learn about LinkedIn and and there's not that many experts out there and there's not that many people uh, really crushing it on LinkedIn. But I would be careful because anybody basically can get to 30,000 connections. All you have to do is just keep hitting invite, invite, invite. And uh, if people accept, you know, it's just a numbers game in terms of how many invites can you send send out and get accepted to 30,000. So there's a lot of LinkedIn coaches out there saying that they're amazing and they've got 20,000 followers and all this stuff, but they they invited those people. Those people didn't find them. And so uh, really, if you're looking for a LinkedIn coach, find somebody who has like 40,000 followers or 50 or 60 or 70 because those people went past the 30,000 that is just kind of anybody could do it because you just have to hit invite enough times. So um, that's what I would look for if you are looking for a LinkedIn coach. Parth. Can you share one actionable advice that you implemented in your life from guests that you interacted with? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, Jordan Harbinger has become like my new mentor and he is a huge podcaster and he's been teaching me so much stuff about how he grew his podcast. And uh, one of the things that he's been teaching me is that I've got to do podcast reads on other big podcasts in order to grow my Apple ranking and the people who follow me on Apple right now. I have got a huge subscriber base on CastBox, on SoundCloud, on Overcast and all these like random apps. But I don't really have that big of a following on Apple compared to Jordan Harbinger or, or, you know, Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss or all these other huge podcasters. I'm still lacking on that app specifically because it's not as easy. I can't just like partner with Apple. They, they don't even know who I am. They don't care about me. <laughs> but like CastBox will partner with me, but not Apple. But anyway, he taught me that and I'm going to implement that. I implement stuff that my guests tell me all the time. Sometimes it's subconscious. I talk to one brilliant mind every single week and I just feel like what I learn as I'm studying for that guest or during the actual interview when I get this hour with this amazing person where they're just pouring out all their wisdom to me. I feel like just subconsciously, I just take all that information wherever I go and it comes out in podcast interviews or in sessions like this and just in daily life. And so I feel so blessed that I get to uh, learn from all these amazing people. Good question, Parth. Thank you. Okay. LinkedIn user. I'd love some techniques to increase engagement. For example, what to post stories versus helpful tips and so on. Cool. Yeah. I'm happy to answer that. By the way, shout out to everyone who is tuning in. Shout out to Chris Parnell. Shout out to Shell. Shout out to Jeremy. Shout out to Joshua. Everybody who's tuning in right now, if you are listening and I didn't shout you out, drop your name, drop where you're from so that I can shout you out and that I know you're there. And if you have any questions in terms of podcasting, marketing, LinkedIn, whatever it is, drop your questions in the chat. There's like a two minute delay. So drop them in the chat so that when I'm done with this question, I have my next questions and I probably have to scroll up and see some of the questions that I missed. So yeah, drop any questions that you guys have. All right. So techniques to increase engagement. So much to say about this. Uh, Let's start with text. So you want to open up 
your post with something that's really engaging. This is called a hook. So typically it's one line. It's something that draws people in. It can be something that is controversial, works really well. It can be a question. It can be a funny, something funny or something with all caps, something that's going to stand out, that's going to make people click to read more. So your first two lines are like super important because you want to entice people to read more. So that's one hint off the bat. Have a hook. Make sure that you have a hook. The second thing that I'll say is that uh, people hate big, chunky paragraphs. If you notice, all my posts kind of look like a poem. It's just like line, 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 line. People don't like to read big, big paragraphs. People are on their mobile device. They're scrolling very fast. They're in a rush. They just want to get to the point and they don't want you to be wordy. So shorter is always better than longer when it comes to your content and your text on LinkedIn. Um, the other thing that I'll say is in terms of the content types, there's a million different content types out there. Like I was saying before, I find that right now, images are doing really well. So images are performing better than regular text posts. They're performing better than videos. They're performing better than sliders for me. Regular images are performing the best for me right now. That doesn't mean that in two months or whatever, it's going to change. That's why you always need to be trying something new and experimenting. And speaking to that, you always want to uh, freshen things up. So people get sick of your content very easily. So if you always post a video in the same background, people are going to get sick of it. So that's why I always switch up my colors. I told my team recently, like, we need to switch up the pattern of my video. I think people are sick of my videos and we need to switch it up. So it's really important to always keep things fresh and try new things because people will get bored of your content and it will just start to be part of everything else and they won't stop. You want people to stop scrolling on social media. That is the goal of social media is to stop the scroll right? That's what everybody says in marketing, stop the scroll. And so you do that with bright colors, bold patterns, a hook that brings you in. And then the other thing is a story. Everybody loves stories. And so as a marketer on LinkedIn or somebody who's trying to build a brand on LinkedIn or, or have content on LinkedIn, you want to get really good at telling stories. And Part of this is knowing like how much to tell, how you don't want to give everything away. You want to be like just high level enough where people can use their own imagination. You want to give details so people feel like they're part of the story. You want to bring people in with a story. For some reason, humans just love stories. So a personal story always works well. Like think about your own experiences and whatever you want to write about, try to weave in your own personal story into it. And it will usually perform a lot better if you use a story. Uh, so that's th those are just some tips in terms of increasing engagement. The other thing I'll say is that you want to make sure that your post provides value. A lot of people think that they can go on LinkedIn and just be like, I was just on a podcast. Here's a link to it. Or check out my article. Here's a link. Nobody cares and nobody wants to, everybody's on LinkedIn. They want to stay on LinkedIn. Nobody wants to go to your outside asset. Sometimes people don't want to watch your video. So whatever you do has to actually have value in the actual caption. You actually want to have the person walk away, especially on LinkedIn, walk away learning something new. So all of your posts need to be educational. They need to be impactful. They need to be smart, creative. And people need to walk away reading your caption, have learning something new and have found value in, in your post without having to watch the video or without having to go to the next link. You know, if you provide value, people will usually comment because they'll say, oh, thank you. I didn't know that. Or thank you for sharing. This is so interesting. If you just say, hey, check this out. Uh, 
people aren't going to respond because there's nothing to respond to. There's nothing that you provided them with. And the last thing I'll say is to end with a question. Whenever you ask people a question, it's a lot more likely that they're going to engage with you. So always try to end your post with a question or start it with a question. I find that that really works well. All right. So we've got Carson from Idaho. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a LinkedIn user. I can't see what your name is, but you're from Massachusetts. It's cold and rainy. It's cold and rainy in New Jersey as well. Then we got AMB. Thank you guys all so much for listening. So again, if you guys have any questions, feel free to put them in the chat. I'm going to scroll up here and see if there's any questions that I missed. Oh, from Carolyn. What is your favorite episode of Yap? I have a lot of favorite episodes. So episode number one was about first impressions. And I spent a lot of time on this podcast. It might have taken me three months to put out. And I interviewed Dr. Jack Schaefer and Dory Clark. And Dr. Jack Schaefer wrote The Like Switch. And he was my favorite author. I actually read The Like Switch or listened to it on Audible like 10 times. And he was my all-time favorite author. And so to have him as my first guest was like unbelievable. And he was so charismatic and so smart. And I just love that interview. And I feel like I worked really hard on that episode. And so it's still, even though it's episode number one, everybody says your first episode is supposed to suck. I loved my first episode. And so first impressions with Dr. Jack Schaefer and Dory Clark was uh, top of the list. Then I think my first other episode that I liked was Chase Hughes, number eight, Hacking Human Behavior. That was one of my first episodes that went viral. Um, It went viral on SoundCloud. And I had a lot of people who found me from that podcast on YouTube. And just even till this day on YouTube, I get like all these views on this random old video. And everybody just loves that episode. And, And a lot of people say it like changed their life. And it's all about body language and how to read people's body language. And Chase Hughes is like super cool ex-FBI agent guy. He's definitely like not one of the most, like one of the least famous people who've been on my show. And it's just funny how people just love that episode and and, uh, really loved his expertise. So I love Hacking Human Behavior, number eight. Chris Voss, number 23, uh, Negotiate Like a Boss was an amazing episode. Everybody loved Jay Samet when he came on. The Robert Greene episodes, uh, 43 and 44, I think. Uh, Those are also one of my favorites. Yeah, there's so many great episodes on Yap. Uh, We're super blessed to have had so many amazing people on our show. Okay, again, guys, please, if you have any questions, drop them in the chat. I'd love to hear from you. Try to think of something that, you know, maybe... Don't be shy. Ask me whatever you want. Happy to answer anything about myself, podcasting, LinkedIn, whatever it is. What made you get into podcasting? Good question, Kennedy. How did I get into podcasting? So really, I started my career in radio. I started my career at Hot 97. It is a top radio station in New York. And Throughout my 20s, I always had an online radio show. So I would be with the DJs that are famous now on the radio, like DJ Drewski and DJ Juanito. Those used to be my DJs when we, after work, go to DTF Radio in Brooklyn or AListRadio.net in the city, wherever it was. And we used to have these radio shows and I would interview artists and uh, musicians. And it was just like a more of a casual thing where we talk about their relationships and, you know, how they got into music and all that. And 
you know, I started this blog as well called The Sorority of Hip Hop when I was in college and that got really big. And I used to have online radio shows with my other girls who were in The Sorority of Hip Hop. And so I always had these like group online radio shows like throughout my college career and they never really took off. Like it taught me a lot about production and things like that, but online radio in general just never took off the same way that podcasting did. And so all that kind of fizzled out at some point. And then I was in my corporate career at Hewlett Packard. I was working there for like four years. I thought that I was never going to get back into radio. I thought I was never going to get back on a mic. And podcasting, it was 2018, podcasting was like becoming really big. And I was like, damn, like I used to do this and I miss it so much. And now it's like some huge thing. It's totally accessible. It doesn't seem that hard to get into. I'm just going to do it. And I remember that so many people in my life were against it. They told me, Holly, you have such a great career. Everything is going great for you. You finally grew up from this dream of being in radio. There's no money in radio. And everything is going well. Why are you going to like sabotage it, uh, concentrating on this other thing? And I didn't listen to anyone. And I just decided I'm going to go for my dreams and I'm going to do it a little differently. I'm going to make it about business this time. I'm going to make it uh, to help people. I want to I want to be a voice of my generation. I want to help people improve their lives. I had just very pure, good intentions. I did not care about making money off of it. In fact, you know, first two years was a lot more money invested in it than I made off of it. And it was just really to learn from all these experts and try to do something more meaningful. When I used to have these other online radio shows, it was really shallow. Like it was really like fun and entertaining, but I don't think anybody really improved their lives from it, which is probably why I didn't have like diehard fans the way that I do with Yap. And so I feel like I found something a lot more meaningful and I just attacked it with full force and went, uh, you know, went crazy trying to make it work. And, you know, here we are, thank God, so blessed. So thanks, Kennedy. All right. So shout out to everybody here. Shout out to Rob, Mario, Philip, Kennedy. If you guys have any questions, again, drop them in the chat because there's like a two, three minute delay and and then I'll know what questions to answer and there won't be any dead air or uh, anything like that. So from Mario, what are the easiest steps to start a podcast? Well, there's a lot. I mean, there's people have courses on courses in terms of how to launch a podcast. I would say step number one is to know your why. Like, why do you want to start a podcast? If it's a way to make money quick, find something else because podcasting is not how you're going to make something quick. It's a long haul. It's a long road. It takes a lot of work. I freaking busted my ass to get to where I am right now. And I think it's even harder now because it's like, you know, two years later, podcasts are even bigger than ever. Not to discourage anyone. There's plenty of room for people in this space still, but you need to actually know your why and always be able to fall back to your why because most people who start a podcast quit after seven episodes. Like that's the reality of it. They they see that their downloads uh, aren't where they want and they feel like it's not realistic or whatever and they stop. So knowing your why and having a really strong why is super important. Then I think it's about picking your title of your podcast, super important. You want to have a SEO optimized title with some keywords. Young and Profiting doesn't have that. It's my biggest regret. So uh, have a really good title that is not taken already and that people would search for. Decide what your category is, what your niche is, who your target audience is, how you're going to promote it. What is your format? How often are you going to post it? All those kind of things. Um, so 
I would say there's no easy steps. I think that it's just available to you in terms of how to start a podcast. Just Google it. YouTube school is how you can learn anything now. And so just go on YouTube and uh, listen to stuff from me and in terms of how I started my podcast and then just put one and two together and, and go on your way. There's no right or wrong way to start a podcast. Everybody thinks that they have the right way. There's no, you could choose whatever hosting provider you want. You can choose whatever equipment you want. It's up to you. And so there's a million different ways to start a podcast. You just got to figure out what works for you. Okay, uh, let's see. If you have a question, put it in the chat. If you hopped on late, let me know who you are, where you're from, so I can shout you out. Okay, so this is a long question. Let's see. From Rob, if your LinkedIn profile represents the company you work for, company XYZ, and you had great success and networking and getting views and starting posting motivational quotes, but it branded to me and some people in my company are getting a bit weird about what's the best way or kind of way to brand it to me without being obvious it's mine, without making coworkers or bosses feeling uncomfortable. Got it. So basically I'm gonna I'm gonna hide this because it's blocking my face. So basically your question is how do I promote myself, my personal brand, without offending people who I work with? Now, what I'll say is that one of my biggest regrets when I worked at HP was that I was so focused on promoting HP and I never promoted myself, right? When I left that company, everything that I did to promote that company went away. It was no longer my asset, right? HP no longer represented me. I spent all this time building up their brand, building up their young employees. And then I left that company because I had a new opportunity at Disney. And then I left with nothing. All that work, all that hard work I did to promote their brand, I did not own any of it. And so you need to really look inside yourself and decide yourself, do I want to promote something that I own? Or do I want to promote something that I don't own? When you promote your personal brand, you take that with you no matter where you go, right? You create a security blanket for yourself because you've got a network that supports you. And no matter what you do now, you'll be successful. And so while you might lose the respect of your current situation, your current bosses or colleagues, you gain the security of having a network that always has your back no matter what company you go to and no matter where you go, right? And you can start to get consulting gigs and whatever it is and make money outside of your company because your personal brand is elevated and you're looked at as an expert in your industry. And so for me, it's a trade-off. It's never going to be perfect. Some companies are going to be open to you promoting your personal brand. Some companies aren't going to be okay with it. But at the end of the day, you need to make your own decision in terms of, do you want to build yourself up so that you can do whatever you want and be looked as an, as an expert, as an individual, as a brand yourself? Or do you want to spend all your time promoting another brand that you don't own that you may move away from at some time? And then what do you get from all that time you spent? Nothing. There's no return on your investment when you do that. So I would say it's not easy. I mean, for me, I am probably one of the most, if not the most well-known person at Disney streaming on LinkedIn, probably more than the CEO. And so far, everything's been fine. 
And I think it's because I carry myself in a professional manner and I don't do anything that would hurt the reputation of the brand. So as long as you're being positive, as long as you're staying relevant to your industry and you're not doing anything that's talking bad about the company, nobody should have a problem if you're promoting your personal brand. There's a problem with the company if somebody is giving you a big problem about promoting your personal brand. Because at the end of the day, the company does not own you. They don't own your digital presence. Unless there's something that you signed that said you're not allowed to do anything like that, you're allowed to do whatever you want on social media. And it's getting more normal and more normal for people in a corporate situation to have their own personal brand. And that's the future. And uh, for me, I have the most job security ever. And that is because I have built a personal brand on LinkedIn, and now you can ask my interns who are in my profile. They they see me rejecting people every day, asking me if I want a job, and I say, I have too many jobs, no thank you. And it's because I've grown a very reputable personal brand. I've positioned myself as an expert, and there's give and take in terms of your corporate career and doing that. But I think the long-term gain definitely wins over the short-term turmoil that you might face when doing that. Young and Profiters, my company, Yap Media, is growing fast. We're onboarding client after client. We're landing a ton of huge deals. And my team just can't keep up. I knew we needed to hire new employees to support my team, but I didn't want to waste my time sifting through candidates who aren't good fits for my company. That's why I use Indeed, the ultimate hiring platform. Indeed makes it easy for me to find great talent fast. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality candidates compared to other job sites. And I don't have to spend hours looking for these great candidates. Indeed's matching engine sends me a list of quality candidates who meet my job requirements the moment I post a job. I can also message candidates, screen their profiles and resumes, send them skills assessments, and schedule interviews with them all from Indeed. It's really an all-in-one platform. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to give your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash profiting. Just go to indeed.com slash profiting right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash profiting. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, AI is changing how we do business. At Yap Media, we use AI to do things like create AI voice models of my voice in case I get sick. And we also use it for basic things like transcribing captions and our meetings. This AI and algorithm-infused world is awesome, but it does dramatically increase all the choices and decisions we have to make in business on a daily basis. Everything is just so much more complex than it used to be. We have to be sure to analyze our data to make the right decisions while also avoiding assumptions and cognitive bias. Ultimately, we all could use some better critical thinking skills moving into the future. And we can look no further than to Economist Education. They just rolled out a new critical thinking course, but it's different from other programs out there on the topic because they focus on today's AI environment and they use real case studies that help you challenge your narrow views and avoid groupthink. Economist Education has two to six week online programs covering everything from international relations to writing and sustainability, and they're made specifically for executives and entrepreneurs. Their programs feature experts and senior editors from The Economist. Actually, one of my favorite authors, Daniel Kahneman, who wrote Thinking Fast and Slow, is one of the guest speakers in the critical thinking course that I just took. When you sign up for one of their programs, you also get a three month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning. 
Economist Education is a great way to stay ahead in your career. And I've got a special offer to get you started. Get 15% off any course from Economist Education only available by going to my exclusive URL, education.economist.com slash profiting. That's education.economist.com slash profiting and enter my code profiting at registration. This offer ends March 31st. So don't wait for 15% off. Go now to education.economist.com slash profiting and use code profiting at checkout. Okay, next question. And if you guys have questions, just drop them in the chat. And uh, this is going really well. We're at 40 minutes already. So uh, no comment fights. I'm really proud of everybody. (laughs) And uh, let's go on to the next question. How do you decide the questions to ask a guest? Also, how much time do you spend on the production, researching, marketing, and other steps for your podcast? Okay. So I have an entire research team. I have six people on my research team now. And at one point I was by myself. And when I was by myself, I was spending about 20 hours per guest studying them. And that would include just listening to other interviews that they're on, reading book reviews, good and bad about whatever books they wrote. But a lot a lot of it was just spent listening to other interviews. Basically, what I like to do is listen to these interviews and then take like the best parts of each one in terms of like the how the conversation went. Sometimes when you're a podcaster and you're in the moment asking questions, it's so hard to like decipher all the information that's coming out at you. And so a lot of the times they'll be on a really big podcast and, you know, the podcast host did a great job, but the guest mentioned something that was so important and the the host was just too distracted to dig deeper. And so I love to find those moments where I'm like, ah, that's such a great point to kind of dig deeper on. How can I bring that out of him on my podcast and then remember to dig deeper because I remembered this piece of information that he gave on another podcast that they didn't dig deeper on. So uh, I love to do all that kind of stuff, really just pull information from different sources and try to put together like the best interview possible. A lot of people try to wing it and I never wing it. I always know what I'm going to ask. I'm very particular in being super prepped for my interviews. It's one of the most important things, I think, when it comes to having a quality podcast when you're an interview type style. You really need to be prepped and have done your research. How much time do I spend on production? I spend 50% of my time on production and 50% of my time on promotion. That's how I split it up. Now I have a big team, and so I have an audio engineer who kind of works on all the audio editing that I trust, and it's all about building a great team with systems and processes and outsourcing the things that you're not great at. So for me, even from the beginning, I was out, I can audio edit. I worked at a radio station. I did it when I was younger. I can totally do it if I had to. I don't like it. I don't like spending my time on it. I think it's a waste of my time. I think Matt, my lead audio engineer, is much better at it than me. I'd rather pay him and be able to focus on research because I think that that's where my strengths are. And and that's why I just try to outsource things that I'm not that great at or I don't care for or will just suck up my time and then just work on the things that really are going to move the needle that I'm the best at. So I hope I answered your question. Um, Okay, guys, if you guys have any questions, drop them in the chat. I'll answer anything that you want. Let's start with what are some of the best hooks that you've seen? So this is going back to the comment when I said, write a good hook. I had one of my first posts was, um, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for everyone has t- who has told me no. And it was just a one-liner and it was just a one-liner hook. I'm thankful for everyone who has told me no. And people ate it up. It was like one of my first viral posts. 
And I think it's because it triggered emotion with people, right? Like everybody remembers the times when they were told no, they remember being, you know, rejected, then redirected, and everybody kind of has their own failure stories. And so it just brought people out being like, yeah, I'm so happy people told me no too, and and got people talking. So anything that's going to trigger emotion or trigger a reaction or help people remember a story or something that people can relate to, that's the kind of hook that you want in your material. Hey, Kashmir, shout out to you. If you guys are newly hopping on, tell me who you are, where you're from, and I'll shout you out. Okay, that's great insight. Also, do you let them know the questions so the guests can be prepared? No, actually, I don't. Unless somebody asks me for an outline, I don't send them anything. And when people ask me for the questions in advance, once in a blue moon, I tend to interview people who do podcasts all the time because I've reached a level where I can get like best-selling authors and CEOs and billionaires and things like that on my podcast. And so Right now, people are usually pros and they don't have time to look at questions. So if somebody asks me for the questions, it's a sort of a red flag because I'm like, oh, crap, have, are they not on podcasts typically? Because as a person who's on podcasts, I don't want to know the questions because I just want to hop on, get it done, and I don't have more time to think about your podcast other than the hour that I'm on with you, right? And so I don't do outlines or questions. I don't give them any notice in advance. I think it also depends on your, some people have podcasts where they, they interview everyday people and those people, I think to have a better show, you want to give them the questions in advance. And somebody does ask me for the questions. I don't even give them the questions. I give them an outline. So I have my team send them like a bulleted list of the things we're going to touch on so that they can get mentally prepared, but so that they don't actually memorize their answers. I always want people to answer like from their heart, from, from within, even I have all my questions written, but half the time I'm not even looking at my notes and I'm just like kind of remembering what I planned and trying to be more natural with it. And that's why I ha still have ums and uhs and whatever, because I'm, I'm sort of memorized what I'm going to say, but I still kind of go with the flow at the same time. And so I like things to be natural. And I find that I want people to speak from their heart, speak from their actual experiences. And so for that reason, I don't give them questions because I don't want them to study too much in advance because then I just feel like it's stale all scripted and it's just not the same real conversation that we want okay shout out to everybody who's tuning in clayton from atlanta georgia thanks for tuning in if you guys are just hopping on put your name where you're from i'll shout you out shout out to Catherine tuning in and everybody who is tuning in to start your own brand this is from carson to start your own brand it takes a lot of time what advice would you give to somebody with a family Okay. So listen, I think that's an excuse. Like I understand that you have a family and I don't have children, but I have a full-time job and I have a podcast and I have a podcast marketing agency. And I had a really sick dad at one point that I had to take care of. And I have a very needy loving, I love him so much, but I have a, a boyfriend who's kind of like a big baby. <laughs> and so I think that's an excuse. I think everybody has their own things going on. And just because you have a family doesn't mean that you're more busy than somebody who doesn't have a family because they just might have other things going on, like two jobs, like me, for example. And so I think it's about fitting 
your brand and your marketing into your daily life. So having a personal brand doesn't mean that you need to make things up and spend a lot of time on it. Why not just document your life? Why not talk about your own children if that's how you're spending your time? Talk about your personal stories. Document the process. You don't need to document the outcome. You don't need to have something very fancy. You don't need to have something very expensive. The best videos that I do are like this, where I'm just hopping on randomly and just talking and I have no script and this costs no money other than the computer I already paid for and whatever. And it does well because it's from the heart and it's just real raw content and it's me. And so I think that having a brand and saying that it's a lot of time is an excuse. It's finding the the moments that you have throughout the day. When I started my LinkedIn brand, I did all my LinkedIn marketing on my commute. Literally, my morning post was done on the train. And then I would do all my engagement, responding to comments and things like that on the way home. And I would respond to my DMs. And I literally grew my LinkedIn from 2,000 to like probably 50,000. I am like at 68,000 or something now on the train, on my commute to work. And so anybody can find the time to start a brand on LinkedIn It's figuring out like, what am I going to sacrifice? So instead of just listening to a podcast and enjoying my commute, I decided to work on my commute and do my LinkedIn post every morning, be consistent every single morning or shoot a video, literally walking to the train. And that's how I grew my following. And so to me, it's an excuse. If you say you don't have the time, I think you can find the time. And it's about documenting your real life, your real life experiences. You don't need to make it overwhelming or expensive or complicated. Just get started and tell your personal story, share whatever value that you have, and uh, hopefully it will work out. Okay, from Isabella Vo, how do you balance your time with a full job at Disney, Yap, and client work? Well, I think that right now I have a very unhealthy lifestyle and I would not recommend it to anyone. I don't have time to like work out like I used to and and do the things that I need to do. I don't have enough time to spend with my friends and my family. And so I think that I'm in need for a change and I'm working towards that change and something's got to give because you do need a work-life balance and you know, you can only hustle and hustle and hustle like I have been for so long. And so I'm looking to make a change soon so that I can have more time to to have a more balanced life. In terms of how I get by now with all these things on my plate, it's really about working on the weekends. It's really about squeezing in any extra time that I have to work. So uh, while I'm cleaning, I'm studying and listening to interviews for my podcasts when I do work out, I'm usually studying for a podcast. And so trying to take that time and be really strategic with it. I don't watch a lot of TV. If I do watch TV, it's like Shark Tank and it's educational. And uh, so I spend a lot of time doing doing that. And then I also think it has to do with the people that I surround myself with. So my boyfriend is a very uh, popular musician. He's a music producer. His name is Harry Fraud. He works constantly like me. And so he understands. And a lot of the times we're hanging out on the couch side by side on the computer working together, you know, and he gets it. And, you know, for a long time, um, he was a really busy one. And now it's me and he's totally understanding. And so I think it also has to do with, you know, who you surround yourself with and making sure that you have the right support system. And I'm very lucky that my boyfriend is really supportive. My mom is really supportive. And so um, they all help me in terms of uh, making it all work. And like I said, it's not 
healthy to be working all the time. And so uh, I'm at this critical point where I need to uh, let something go. And uh, hopefully I'll share that news soon. Okay, from I LinkedIn user, next time I shout out your question, put your name because I think uh, for some reason I can't see your name. How do you find quality guests when you're starting out podcasting? I assume without a brand, there'll be no value in great guests coming on your podcast. Well, I think it's true. It's, it's harder to get great guests when you're up and coming, but I always recommend that you shoot for the stars. So for me, when I was first starting, I reached out to Dr. Jack Schaefer and Dory Clark, and they took a chance on me. And it's because I told them my story. I told them my background. I told them why they should take a chance on me, how I'll promote it. And I had a professional-looking podcast cover, and I, had, I knew what my angle of my show was going to be. And so I think if you have your elevator pitch and you know you know what you're looking for and you ask people to come on your show they'll come on your show and a lot of people who are you know trying to make it they're gonna go on any podcast like I literally right now I am saying yes to everyone I can't do that forever but I say yes to everybody who wants to have me on their podcast because I just want to give a chance to people and I think that there's a lot of people like me who are willing to give the underdog a chance. Um, Evan Carmichael goes on like anyone's podcast. I think Gary Vee said at one point he was going on everyone's podcast. So there's plenty of people that are going to just be like, what are your stats? And if your stats aren't XYZ, then I don't want to come to your podcast. And then there's going to be a lot of people who are just like genuine good people who would be the people that you want on your podcast that are going to say like, yeah, sure, I'll take a chance on you. You seem like a nice person. You seem like you have your shit together. I think as long as you look professional and you approach them with a mission and you seem motivated and and, uh, give them some examples of how you promote, even though you don't have a big uh, following yet, um, and you pitch it as like, take a chance on me and I'll pay it forward when I make it, I think a lot of people will say yes. So uh, that's my advice there. All right, next question from Kevin Ward. By the way, if you guys are enjoying this conversation, let me know in the chat. If you're just joining, let me know where you're at, where you're from, so I can shout you out. Thank you guys all for tuning in. We'll wrap this up in about seven minutes. So if you have another question, we can answer a few more, drop them in the chat, and I'll get them answered. Okay, from Kevin Ward. Do you have any tips for dealing with imposter syndrome? I know I'm competent in my positions, but when I'm sharing, I worry my expertise might not be as valuable for others in different types of companies. I think when it comes to imposter syndrome, I think one of the ways to feel like an expert is to actually like write down all of your stories or write down the things that you think you're an expert on. And it gives you more confidence because when you clearly write down and outline everything that you're good at, then when you're talking about it, you'll feel more confident because you can bring up more examples, more stats. Like for example, when some when you guys just asked me about the, the podcast monetization, I just wrote a blog with Sounder FM on monetization. And so I had all this information that was so fresh in my head and I could just rattle things off like it will be 40,000 downloads before you'll get $1,000 per episode for your podcast. And that's because I just wrote that. And so I remembered it. And having those little nuggets of information when you're on the fly getting asked questions or on a panel, that's what's going to give you that confidence. Um, The other thing that I would say is before you get onto that panel or whatever stage you're on, try to remember a moment where you had confidence. Some people have a confidence journal. That's what they call it. 
some other people just say, call it like just channeling good energy. Think of a moment, like, let's say for me, it was like, I was a teen and I was on Miss Talented Teen New Jersey and I sang a song by Mandy Moore and I won. And, and it was one of the first moments where I was confident and, and did a really good job at something and, and uh, won, you know? And so when I'm about to get on stage, I just try to feel like, oh, let me think back to that time when I was a teen and I won Miss Talented Teen New Jersey and, and how confident I was and, and try to just channel that feeling and it will help you be more confident in the moment. And then, like I said, writing down what you think you're an expert on and really building it out and, and getting facts and stats and things that are in your arsenal, stories, real life examples, whatever it is, so that you can always like pull from them when you're on the spot. And that's what's going to give you credibility and make you that expert. Okay, guys. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for hopping on. I really appreciate everybody who took the time to chat with us. If you enjoyed this chat, let me know. Drop a comment. If you want me to do these again, let me know. If you have a different angle that you want me to take, let me know. And I appreciate everybody hopping on. Uh, We had a great discussion. Thank you guys so much. I hope you have a great night and goodbye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please write us a review or comment on your favorite platform. Nothing makes us happier than reading your reviews. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. And don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, family, and on social media. I always repost, reshare, and support those who support us. You can find me on Instagram at yapwithhala or LinkedIn. Just search for my name. It's Hala Taha. Big thanks to the Yap team as always. This is Hala signing off.